Hi, and welcome to This Week I Learned, your audio guide to the most surprising discoveries and fascinating studies of the week. I'm your host, Lauren Hansen. This week I learned why dogs get so freaked out during thunderstorms and firework displays. It's actually a noise phobia, and it affects up to 40% of dogs. Now, personally, I just assume that every dog had this anxiety because every dog I'd ever known goes nuts at the clap of thunder or that shower of fireworks. But while all dogs are instinctively sensitive to sound, it's only dogs that tend to be anxious that develop this genuine panic around noise. Now, fear of loud or unexpected noises are triggered by something called the orienting response. This is the brain's way of processing sound to determine whether it might be a signal for danger. It's something that we humans have as well. For anxious dogs, this process is particularly sensitive, but the trigger can vary and change over time. Sometimes the anxiety is linked to a particular event, like maybe the dog wasn't treated well when it was little, or maybe it was just a really bad storm or a really lengthy fire alarm that went off and never stopped. And from then on, anything that sounds like that event sets off the anxiety. But for other dogs, the fear can progress and build over time. So a dog who shows signs of fear during storms only gets more fearful with each passing storm season. And thunderstorms can be particularly troubling because dogs can hear above and below our auditory range. They can tap into storm sounds long before the thunder rolls in. There are also pressure changes, ionization, and light that can throw an anxious dog into a total state of panic. The trouble is that a dog's response to fear is to run. Animal shelters actually report that their busiest days for taking in runaway dogs is July 5th. But there are ways to help alleviate this anxiety. You can expose your dog to the sounds of storms with a CD or the real thing when they're a pup and do it in a positive reinforcement environment so they know that good things happen when loud noises occur. One study actually found that playing simplified classical music where the tones were lowered and the tempo dropped relaxed dogs during storms. And now for the first time, there's an FDA approved drug to help with canine noise aversion. The drug reportedly inhibits a brain chemical associated with anxiety and fear response. So who knows, maybe your dog will soon be able to enjoy the July 4th fireworks display as well. This week I learned about a truly bizarre and mysterious plague that struck Europeans in the Middle Ages. It was a dancing plague called Choreomania. The first recorded outbreak was in the German city of Aachen. In 1374, people just started pouring out of their houses and into the streets where they writhed and whirled uncontrollably. Reports of the dancing disease popped up in the Netherlands, Belgium, France, and Italy, and seemed to affect people up and down the Rhine River. In some reports, the infected formed circles and held hands and danced regardless of the weather or the people watching, and they did so for hours on end, wild with delirium until falling into a complete state of exhaustion. And it's not like they liked it. They complained of the pain and the horror of having to continue to dance. One dancing epidemic began with just one woman in the city of Strasbourg. 
And within one month, 400 people felt the irresistible urge to dance as well. Officials seeing their city dissolve into dancing mania thought the best recourse was to encourage the activity, to let the victims get whatever was in their system out. So they set up dancing arenas and even hired professional musicians to keep the dancers inspired. Today, experts still haven't come to a conclusion about what caused choreomania, though there are some theories. One blames a toxin produced by fungus that grew on rye. Ergo poisoning, as it was known, could bring on hallucinations, spasms, and delusions due to the psychoactive chemicals produced by the fungus. But there are some holes in that theory. Not all areas affected by the dancing plague produced rye, and even for those that did, the outbreaks didn't always happen during the wet season when fungus would have grown. But there is another interesting theory out there, that these people were in a trance state. A trance state is more likely to occur in people under extreme psychological distress and in those who believe the possibility of spirit possession. And that's pretty much exactly what was going on in Europe in the Middle Ages. The Middle Ages were still pre-Reformation, and Europe was a hotbed of supernaturalism. It was also, frankly, a really tough time to be alive. Europe's poor were suffering from famine and disease. They were being killed off en masse by the Black Death and other really terrible horrors. So this theory suggests the epidemic was the result of both desperation and pious fear. Eventually, as the 16th century chugged on and as Protestantism, modern science, and rationality spread, the dancing madness was effectively starved out of existence. But this very mysterious event illustrates the limits and strangeness of the human brain when pushed to the brink. This week, I learned that the fact that we humans become less socially active in our old age might actually be evolutionary. A new study found that monkeys also shed friends as they age. Researchers observed a group of barberry macaques that ranged from age 4 to age 29. Age 29 is more like being 105 years old in human years. So around the age of 20, the monkeys became less likely to groom, play with, approach, or generally engage in social contact with other animals. Now, what's interesting is that on the human side, this behavior is understood to be a social choice, something called socio-emotional selective theory. The idea is that as we age, we become more aware that our time is fleeting, so we want to spend those precious last years, moments, decades with the people who mean the most to us, our family, and maybe a few select good friends. But monkeys really probably don't have the same awareness of death, so this kind of narrowing of social circles was rather surprising to see in primates. So what's going on here? Scientists have a few theories. Like, maybe it has to do with being more risk-averse with age, less of a willingness to take a chance on an unfamiliar and maybe dangerous monkey. Or maybe it's just due to exhaustion, and these old monkeys stick with what's comfortable because it's easier on their frail bodies. Whatever the reason, it's an interesting connection we humans share with our primate cousins, and suggests our friendless golden years may have a biological purpose, and not just because we all grew up to be curmudgeons. And finally, this week I learned that the actress, Gina Davis, once tried out for the Olympics. 
You know, I really thought you were a ball player. Well, you were wrong. Was I? Yeah. Yep, the Oscar winner tried out for the U.S. Olympic archery team for the 2000 Sydney Olympics. Now, it's not like Davis grew up shooting arrows. She actually said that she wasn't even particularly athletic when she was a kid. But after watching the 1996 Atlanta Olympics and catching an archery event, she was inspired by American Justin Huish, who won two gold medals that year. She got in touch with the Olympian who introduced her to his coach, and after six months of it, she was hooked. Davis quietly entered the archery tournament circuit and started winning. She won a tournament in Florence and then entered the national championships in 1999, where she came in 29th among 300 women. That qualified her for the U.S. Olympic semifinal trials. Unfortunately, it was a rainy day when Davis stepped up to shoot and the weather threw the Californian off her game. She ended up coming in 24th out of 28 women. Only the top 16 archers advanced to the next round. Davis's dalliance with an Olympic sport is unique in Hollywood, though there have been a few Olympians turned stars like Caitlyn Jenner and Johnny Weissmuller, the swimmer who played Tarzan in the 1930s and 40s. There are very few actors turned almost Olympians. But I did find one more, a South Korean actress named Lee Si-young. She turned the boxing lesson she had for an acting gig into a pretty impressive side career as an amateur boxer. She won two national amateur boxing championships for her weight class in 2011 and 2013, and she was set to try out for the national team for the Rio Olympics, but a dislocated shoulder forced her into early retirement. And that does it for this week's episode of This Week I Learned. Look out for new episodes every Friday on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. To learn more about the facts I've mentioned here or to check out the week's selection of podcasts, including 7-Minute Opinions and 7-Minute Explainers, go to theweek.com slash audio. And if you like what you hear, tell your friends, subscribe, or give us a rating or a review on iTunes. I'm Lauren Hansen, and thank you so much for listening. 